Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Authentic series, which walks through the book of James, discovering how we can be a growing and maturing Christian. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to James chapter one tonight. James chapter number one. James chapter one. We started a series two weeks ago and uh, just entitled it Authentic, about real Christianity or mature, growing Christianity and understanding that God calls us or desires that we would uh, live a, a thriving and maturing Christianity. We started with this quote. We'll lean on it kind of throughout the series. The fact that not everybody who grows old grows up. Not everybody who grows old grows up. And uh, you know what? That's true in life, and it's true spiritually. It's true in life that we've seen a lot of adults act like kids. And uh, you've, been at the, you've, been at the, you've been at Walmart just like I've been at Walmart, you know? And you've seen an adult throw a fit just like a kid. Uh, you've seen parents arguing with children just like children. Not everybody who grows old grows up. The same is true spiritually just because You've been in church for uh, 20 years or 10 years or three years or just because you've known Jesus for 30 years or 50 years or five years. Just because you're growing older in the Lord doesn't mean you're growing up in the Lord. And I love how one man worded it, and we saw it even in uh, uh, the book of Corinthians chapter, um, I think, 14. But I love how one man said it. He said it this way, too many churches are playpens for babies instead of workshops for adults. Man, people, people just play around with Christianity rather than growing in their Christian faith and realizing, and I hope, I hope we catch this tonight from the youngest to the oldest in here, uh, that Christianity was not, you know, Jesus Christ did not come and die upon a cross just so you could have some sort of a crutch in life. Uh, Jesus came and he died upon the cross so that you and I might have a relationship with God. And that's what Christianity is. Biblical Christianity is a relationship with God. It is understanding that God has more to my life and purpose in my life uh, more than just getting up and kind of going through my day and fulfilling a a checkbox. It's more than checklist Christianity. Man, it's about a relationship and it's about growing in him. And tonight we're going to continue our series. Of course, the first week we understood this, that a thriving and mature Christian is going to is going to seek to have joy in trials. Remember Paul, remember James, he wrote that he was a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He said, my greeting, brethren, I count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire or complete, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. And so a thriving, maturing Christian, number one, is going to seek to have joy in trials. Number two, we saw this last week, that a thriving and maturing Christian is going to know where to turn in trials. Remember what he said? James wrote this. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. And let not that man think, he said this, he said, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. And last week we understood that a thriving and maturing Christian is going to know as I go through trials, I can turn to God for wisdom. I can turn to him in faith. 
and I can turn to him rejoicing. And Brian helped us with a great thought and great message last week. Tonight, we're going to come to this thought in verse 13 through 17, that a thriving Christian, or 13 through 16, excuse me, a thriving and maturing Christian is going to see past the bait. A thriving, maturing Christian is going to see past the bait. Many of you know that last year, um, from well, from August of 2020 to August of 2021, we had our two nephews and our niece living with us. And of course, uh, Savannah, Tommy, and Asher. And if you were around the church at all, you knew them. And Asher was the psychotic two-year-old, just running around and around and around and around. And he did that here. He did it at the house. He did it in the park. He would do it everywhere. But Tommy... Tommy was the eight-year-old, and uh, for Christmas 2020, my father-in-law, Hannah's dad, he gave, he gave Tommy a, uh, a little book. I think he gave it to Tommy. If not, Tommy just stole it from somebody. But uh, he gave Tommy a little book, and it was a, uh, a joke and riddle book. And I think it was jokes and riddles for eight-year-olds. Is that what it was? And joke and, jokes and riddles for eight-year-olds. So... Tommy got this little book, and if you know Tommy, the, the kid could read real good for a little eight-year-old. He could just sit there. He'd flip through those pages. But for weeks, we would be hearing jokes and riddles. I mean, for weeks, it didn't stop. Most days before school, Tommy would, he would get up. He would get ready really fast, and then he would sit in the kitchen while all the kids are gathering their lunches and eating breakfast and all that stuff. And I'm not exaggerating. Tommy would sit at the, at the bar, at the kitchen counter on that bar stool, and he'd sit there, and he'd just start reading. He didn't care who was listening. He would just start reading through his joke book. And then when he hit the pun, he would say the pun real loud and laugh and look at you. And then if you didn't laugh, he'd go back and repeat the same joke. And he'd wait to get, he'd wait to get it, and people would be in and out, and uh, for 30 or 40 minutes, Tommy would be in there sometimes, just sitting there reading those riddles and those joke books. Well, after a while, you catch a point where you figure out what the pun is, or what the joke is, or what the riddle is. I mean, he, he can only, you know, the, the book only had so many, and so he'd go back and repeat some. And all of the kids hit a point, and I did too, where I would know the punchline. Or I would know the joke, and I'd just say it to him. So it'd go something like this. He'd go, knock, knock. Say, who's there? He'd go, orange. And I'd immediately go, orange, you're going to open the door and let me in? He'd go, Uncle Dennis, it's not funny when you say it. I'm like, well, is that it? He was like, yeah. And then he'd come in, he'd say another joke, or he'd try to give another riddle, and Micah would just turn and look at him and kind of with an exasperated face just go, Tommy, it's, and say the answer right away. Micah, you ruined it. I probably did that to Tommy because I learned that from my dad. Those of you that knew my dad or knew him well, you could never tell my dad a joke that he had not heard. I, would, I, I remember time, I mean, there would be plenty of times I'd be laughing. I'd be like, oh, man, Dad, I heard this one. And I'd start, I'd start in on a joke, and, and he'd just look at me. And I, he wouldn't have to say anything. I'd go, you've heard this one, haven't you? He'd go, yeah, that's all right, but go ahead. It's funny anyway. I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to tell the joke if you already know the punchline. I'm not going to tell the riddle if you already know the punchline. Man, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a joke that Dad didn't know. He knew the answers. He knew the punchline. He knew the joke. He always 
Dad always saw past the riddle. He always saw past the joke. You, you really didn't get chances to fool my dad. You didn't get chances to make him laugh. He laughed a lot, but it wasn't because of your funny joke. It was usually because of some quick comeback that he had. Well, I want to tell you tonight that a thriving and maturing Christian is going to live this way when it comes to sin. Think about it this way. The hunter and the fisherman, they have to use bait to attract and catch their prey. No animal is deliberately going to step into a trap. No fish will knowingly bite at an unbaited hook. The idea is to hide the trap and the hook with a bait so that the consequence of taking the bait is not seen. Think about this Bible story. We recently just finished our series in 2 Samuel in the study of David. And those of you that were a part of our series, if you'll remember when David looked off of that rooftop and, and, and looked upon Bathsheba, David would have never, listen, he would have never committed adultery had, he'd see, had he seen beyond the temptation. Had he seen the tragic consequences of the death of a child, the murder of Uriah, the violation of his own daughter, the death of two more children, and the betrayal of one child against him, all of these things, repercussions of David's decision to step into sin. And the fact is this, that the bait to sin keeps us from seeing the consequences and the outcomes of sin. And so what I want us to see tonight and to learn tonight or be reminded of is that a thriving and maturing Christian is going to see past the bait. They're not going to wait for the punchline. They already know what the joke is. They already got the riddle solved. You're not going to get me with that again, devil. I'm going to see past the bait. That's what we're going to learn from James chapter 1. Stand with me if you would. Let's just read a few verses together. James chapter 1, beginning in verse number 13. James chapter 1, verse number 13. James writes this, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. A thriving and maturing Christian is going to see past the bait. Let's pray, and then we'll get our thoughts tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take a minute, and would you just give God permission to speak to you tonight? Would you pray and ask God to speak into your heart tonight? And then would you make a commitment? God, if you speak to me, I'm gonna listen to you tonight. Dear Lord, we come before you and just thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you use it to help us. And Lord, I pray, God, I pray tonight that you would arrest our attention. Father, I pray that you would help us to see, um, Lord, the, uh, the life change that could be made if we could grasp the concept that James wrote about. 
Father, I pray that if there's someone that's here tonight that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that tonight would be the night they put their faith and trust in you. And God, I ask you that you would use the words that I say, the actions that I have tonight to bring honor and glory to your name and that you would speak to each one of us as you desire. I love you, Lord, and surrender this time to you, myself to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Chapter number one, there's a a verse that kind of is the lead-in verse or lead-in thought that James tries to get across to these believers. And that's in verse number 13 when James writes these words, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now this verse, we need to understand what James is saying. Basically, he's getting at this concept. Do not blame God for temptation. Don't blame God for tempting you to sin. God is too holy to be tempted and he's too loving to tempt others. We need to know and remember and recognize this tonight that God... He does test us. How many of you know that's true? Man, God tests you. He's, he allows trials and testings into our life. And sometimes one of the words, and this is why it can be confusing, sometimes one of the words that is used in our English language or especially in the Bible uh, for testings or trials is temptation. Right? If we went back to the first few verses, uh, if you go back to verse number um, Well, maybe it's not there. Verse number 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. That phrase, that phrase endureth temptation, blessed is the man that endures trials or hardships. But when you come to verse number 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. That word tempted has to do with the Lord literally saying, here is sin. Do you want it or do you not want it? tempting you to sin. And here's what James is trying to get across to these believers, that God does test us, but God will not tempt us into sin. Now, why would James be saying this? James would be saying this because many of these believers, we have to remember, they were going through extreme challenges No doubt, some of them were falling by the wayside and going into sin, and some of them resorting back to their old life. And James is saying to them that they need to make sure to differentiate between trials and temptation to sin. You can't blame God for you choosing to go into sin. You can't blame God when a trial comes, a testing comes, and you, because of the test, deviate to sin. You can't blame God for that. God can't tempt you with sin. God never says, here's this sin. Do you want it or do you not want it? Now, does God allow trials into our life that often bring with it temptation? Yes, but God does not tempt us. You see, we think of sin, though, as a, we think of sin as a single act, And James wants to help us understand that sin is not a single act. Sin is a process. It's not a single act of God tempting you. Here's sin. Do you want it or do you not? No, it is a a process. So I want to take just a few minutes tonight from verse 14 to 16 and just talk about the process of sin. 
I see first off tonight that sin, sin begins with desire. Sin begins with desire. Notice verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. The word lust here, it means desire. It means a desire of the flesh. When we hear the word lust, many people immediately think of, of uh, sensual or sexual terms in that nature. But the word, the word lust just simply means to desire. It means to desire something that isn't yours at the moment. It means to desire something that may be yours down the road but won't be yours right now. It means to, it means to have a desire. John summarizes it this way in 1 John 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love of the Father is not in him because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. But John summarized all of the lust as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes or the pride of life, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes or, or the pride that backs all of it. And what I want us to see tonight is to understand that desires... That you, that you have in this life, the normal desires of life, they were given to you by God. And desires in and of themselves, they are not sinful. Without the desire, you wouldn't function. You wouldn't function properly. Unless a person feels hunger and thirst, they would never eat and drink and they would die. Without fatigue, the body would never rest and would eventually wear out. Physical desires in a marriage are normal desires, and without them, the human race would not continue. It's when we want to satisfy desires outside of God's will that we get ourselves into trouble. See, eating is normal. Gluttony is sin. Sleeping is normal. Laziness is sin. Marriage and the physical relationship is between a husband and wife is normal, but anything, listen, anything physically, physical relationship outside of marriage is sin, any of it. Some people try to become spiritual by, more spiritual by denying normal desires. They're seeking to suppress them, but that makes a person less human. One man said it this way, these fundamental desires of life, they are the steam in the boiler that makes the machinery go. Turn off the steam and you have no power. Let the steam go its own way and you have destruction. The secret is constant control. You see, sin starts with desire. The desire is not the sin, but it's where it's where sin can start. Did you know that um, I'm going to kind of keep referring to David because that's kind of the common uh, common uh, sin we just kind of walk through. But did you know the moment that David looked off of that rooftop and saw Bathsheba, the moment he saw her, just that split second, that moment was not a sin. It was when he chose to stare. It was when he chose to act. And we'll see that in a moment. Because right now, think about it, right now in, in our culture that we live in, man, sin is ever before us. 
I'm raising teenage sons, and uh, you know, I, I try to, we try to teach my teenage sons, hey, when you see something you shouldn't, man, just turn away. You, you, sometimes you can't stop it. You're going to see it, just turn away. Why? Because seeing it is not the sin, right? One man said it this way, a bird can fly in a barn, but you can stop it from nesting there. A thought can fly through your head, but you can stop it from becoming something that it should, from nesting in your mind. And so what's the process of sin? Well, sin starts with desire. These desires, they should be servants and not masters. You see, but too many people just allow the desire to run their life. Can I tell you just very quickly, and I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail, but I'm going to. You want to know why a lot of people are just lazy and just living on, on, uh, on uh, government income when they could work and why people, when they could do some things, just stay at home and sleep and just, I mean, you want to know why the drug situation just runs rampant? You want to know why uh, sex outside of marriage just runs rampant in our culture? It's because people just follow desire. They just pursue desire and don't understand that I've got to put that steam under control because sin starts at desire. Desire is not sin, but sin can, it starts with the desire. Does that make sense tonight? And I think if we're a naive person, if we're a naive person, we just allow the desires to just run through us and just take control. And here's what James is trying to get at. He's trying to say, hey, I wanna help you. I wanna help you recognize the process of sin. Sin starts with desire. Secondly, desire leads to deception. All right, desire leads to deception. Go to verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. No temptation appears as temptation. It always seems more, the word is alluring than it really is. James uses two illustrations from the world of sports to prove his point. The phrase drawn away it carries with it the idea of baiting a trap. We started with this, but temptation always carries with it some sort of bait that appeals to our natural desires. The bait not only attracts us, but it also hides the fact that yielding to the desire will eventually bring sorrow and punishment. It's the bait that is the exciting thing, but at the core is deception. There's a hook there. The word enticed, it means to be allured away. I mean, why do you think in fishing? Sometimes when you don't use live bait, what do you use? You use lures. Well, what, what is a lure? It's enticing. It's cast out and the fish see it. And what does it do? It draws them away. That's the same words that, that James is using. The word enticed, allured away. Why is it in many movies and cartoons, the, the villain, think about this, the villain often uses candy or ice cream to draw the child away from their parents. 
I mean, all the little childhood cartoons, those of you that grew up in like the 70s and 80s or, or even earlier than that, the 60s and 50s, when TV was really first coming out, you could remember some of the cartoons and some of the commercials about strangers. And I remember my dad showing me one years and years ago, my mom might have showed it to me, of uh, you know this, this, this character that was just in this you know uh, black cape and hood and just looked really evil standing by a van and, and had candy. And the, the commercial was like, don't talk to strangers, even if they have candy or something like that, you know. Well, why, why, do they, why do strangers, why do people use that stuff? And in here, adults are thinking, oh, I would, I would never do that. And, you know, that's, you know, kids, you can draw a kid away with candy or ice cream to anything. I mean, for years and years and years, that was the, the alluring effect on, on children of predators to prey and, and draw a child away. Well, what were they doing? They were using something. Candy is not bad, but they were baiting, luring. You know, that's what the devil does with sin. Lust, the desire, the desire, the natural desire is not bad. But when we follow it and, it's, and the devil says, hey, look at this. And the lust says, hey, hey, this is enticing to you. It's gonna allure us away. But what's behind, what's behind the bait? A hook. It's desire that turns into deception. The desire is triggered by the enticing. It makes the temptation look gratifying and rewarding. This is where the... Desire screams to the, or excuse me, the, uh, um, the sin screams to the desire. This is worth it. You want this. It will be worth it. But the entire time it is just lying. It's just deception. We can see this so clearly in that illustration of alluring a, a someone away with ice cream or candy. But what does this look like in the life of the believer? The alluring is often the task of the flesh. The alluring happens when that desire that God gave gives ear to the flesh that says, this will make it better. This will be worth it for you. This will get you ahead. This will get you even. And the flesh begins to justify why the, why the individual needs to make a sinful choice. And so sin, it begins with Desire, it leads to deception, but then that deception gives way to disobedience. The deception gives way to disobedience. Go to verse number 15. James said this, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. In this verse, we now move from the emotions, that lust or desire, and we move from the intellect, the enticement, and we move to the will. James changes this picture in verse number 15 from uh, hunting and fishing. He changes it to the birth of something. When he says, when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. What is born out of that desire and the willful choice to follow that desire, what's born out of that is that disobedience. You see, the will approves of the temptation and acts upon it, and the result is disobedient. 
disobedience. And whether we feel it or not, we're hooked. We're trapped. Sin is born out of the desire and the deception. Sin is the result. Why? Because we gave in to sin and we listened to the enticing. And it is the willful act to go against what we know to be true about God and listen to the desires of the flesh. There are different sins, and we won't take a lot of time on this tonight, sins of omission and sins of commission, but we need to understand tonight that sin is sin. And any sin that you and I willfully commit, uh, we need to recognize that all sin is what Jesus Christ died on the cross for. And and I I fear that today in in modern day Christianity that we kind of tiptoe around sin. We don't want to get offended by it, so we don't, as pastors sometimes, maybe don't preach on it as much as we should. As Christians sometimes, we don't recognize the deceitfulness of the devil, and we, we just kind of allow things. Listen, we allow things to be in our life, and we watch things and listen to things, and we allow different emotions, and we allow different uh, bitternesses and attacks and things to be in our life, and we don't realize that the entire time, the devil, uh, oftentimes, he doesn't have to bait too much to get a lot of people to sin because they live just fulfilling those desires and they live just driven by those desires. And here's what James is writing to them. He's saying, hey, when you come to temptation, you got to recognize that sin has a process. It starts with desire. The desire is not the sin, but if you allow that desire to deceive you, what is going to follow is going to be disobedience. And that disobedience is an act of the will. Remember when you were a kid and maybe you did this, I know I did. Whenever you sinned, you'd go to your mom and dad or something like that and they'd say, why'd you do it? And the old excuse, the devil made me do it. For me, it was my sister made me do it. You know, my, blame it on them. They're the devil anyway, but I'm just teasing. You know what? You blame it on someone else. You know, sin, when it boils down to it, it's just the act of your will. It's the act of Dennis. It's the act of my will. I love how one author put it when he said this, Christian living is a matter of the will, not our feelings. Children operate on the basis of feelings, but mature people operate on the basis of will. We should act based upon decision. This explains why many Christians easily fall into temptation because they let feelings drive decisions rather than than thinking about it and casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. You see, the the more you exercise your will in saying a decisive no to temptation, the more God will give you victory over temptation. But it's an act of choosing to say no. Paul wrote it this way in Philippians 2.13, it is God that which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Hey, God can give you the ability to say no. Deception brings disobedience. And then lastly, disobedience, it brings death. Disobedience brings death. Look at verse number 15. James writes this. And sin, when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. 
Disobedience gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is done, delivers only death. It may take years for the sin to mature, but when it does, the result is always negative. We are never glad we said yes to sin. The end result of sin is never one that we like. I don't know I don't know many people that have done a, an egregious sin and looked back and said, "Boy, I sure am glad I did that." I don't know many people that have done a small sin in our scales of sin that we do and looks back and says, "You know, I'm really glad that I said that to that person." Usually, if you're like me, man, you're thinking, "You know, I got a zinger for them." I'm, I'm just gonna say it. I'm gonna let, I'm gonna, I'm not, this is me and Hannah. I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna let her, I'm gonna let her have it. I'm right on this and I'm gonna say it. I've never had a time right after I said it when I was like, yes, I'm so glad I said that. That accomplished so much in helping our relationship. Usually I say it and I'm like chasing the words. And I say it and I'm like, oh, I wish I could get those back. Man, you know what? In sin, in sin, we never look at sin and say, man, the result of this is so great. You know, I don't know, I don't, if, if fish could think like us, I don't know that, a, that, that that fish that Tom caught last year is gonna be like, man, I sure am glad that I got caught and eaten by Tom. I, I don't know that that fish is going, if they could think like us, I don't know they're going to do that. And this is the analogy that, that James uses, helping us understand sin. Hey, listen, sin in a believer's life, sin in anyone's life, never ends well. Sin always ends in a poor result. This is why the author of Hebrews said that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for what? For a season. You see, sin does have pleasure in it, but it's for a season. What does sin do? Sin actually just eats a person up and spits them out. In the verse that we just read a second ago, it's an interesting word. When it, the phrasing, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. You ever, done, you ever been done with a meal? And, and you just, man, you get done eating, you wipe your face, you, you're full, and you just kind of push back from the table and kick your feet up, and you're just, you just go into that relax mode. I love the relax mode after I eat, don't you? That's kind of the idea of the word finished right here. When sin is done with you, it just pushes back and relaxes and you know who suffers? You do. I do. And while it may not bring physical death, sin always brings, listen, sin always brings destruction. And a life of pursuing sin, it just brings destruction. Why don't you think about it? Think about this tonight. How many, how many movie actors do you know that, that their life has ended on drug overdose or alcohol? Their life has ended with suicide. Their life has ended in, in destruction. Hey, I wonder if that might help some people wake up and realize sin gets you nowhere. 
the pursuit of sin, and, and you, can under, you and I can understand this tonight, and ever, from, from the youngest to the oldest in here, we can know that sin, just look at God's word and recognize sin always leaves you worse than where you started. Sin is never, never, never worth it. That's a biblical promise. Sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death. Paul wrote it this way in the book of Romans, and we use this on the Romans road when he said, for the wages of sin, the, the payment that what we deserve for sin is death, separation from God. But I love that second part, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the victory that you and I can have over sin is only through Christ. The victory, hey, the victory that you have over the eternal payment of sin, that's only through Jesus. Listen here, listen here. The Bible teaches this. Everybody's gonna spend eternity somewhere. Everybody. I don't care who you are, you're gonna spend eternity in heaven or in hell. Everybody's gonna spend eternity in heaven or in hell. That's what God said. And you won't go to heaven because you're a good person. You won't go to heaven because there's more good than there is bad in your life. You won't go to heaven because you got baptized or because you came to church or because you knew a pastor or you knew a youth pastor or because your mom taught in Sunday school or your great-great-grandpa started a church. You won't go to church because of anything that you've done. The only way that a person can know for sure, excuse me, you won't go to heaven because of anything that you have done. The only way that a person can know for sure they're going to heaven is if they have put their faith in their trust in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came, right? He came because the end result of sin is death, separation from God. And if you die without Jesus, you're going to be eternally separated from God. That's why, that's why uh, Paul went around planting so many churches. That's why James is writing this book to believers to help them understand mature Christianity so that they could live it and then in turn exemplify it so that other people would come to know Christ as Savior. Why? Because the end result of sin, it is separation from God. That's why you need forgiveness for your sin. That's why Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross and he offers me and you complete forgiveness for sin. He says, I don't want you to spend eternity in hell. I want you to have a relationship with me. And all you have to do is receive me. That's it. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. All you have to do, all you and I have to do, the Bible says, is confess with our mouth that we believe in our heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. And James is writing to help them and to help us understand that the end result of sin is always destruction. Now, for the believer, once you trust Christ as Savior, the ultimate end result is not hell. No, Jesus took all the punishment and payment for our sin upon the cross. So how does this then apply to believers, knowing James is writing it to believers? Then we have to understand that he's writing this, sin never pays. You're never better off when you sin. And once a believer would, once a believer knows God's word and, and understands and processes principles like this, 
believers are able to look past the bait. The four stages of sin, that understanding it starts as desire. That desire uh, kind of, go back here, that desire turns into the uh, deception. Deception gives way to disobedience and disobedience brings death. We can see those, this four steps of sin and the very first sin. All the way back to Genesis chapter number three. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat it, eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. What happened? The serpent used desire to interest Eve said, you know, God knows that the day you eat this, your eyes will be open to good and evil. Don't you want to know that? There's nothing wrong with gaining knowledge. There's nothing wrong with eating food. But God had said, thou shalt not. Eve saw that the tree was good for food. Her desire was enticed. Paul describes the deception of Eve in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 3 when he says that the serpent hath beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Satan is the deceiver and he seeks to deceive the mind. And the bait that he used in, with Eve was the fact that the forbidden tree was good and it was pleasant and that the eating of it would make her wise. And she saw the bait, but she forgot the Lord's warning. In the day thou shalt eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. It's going to bring forth death. Eve disobeyed God by taking the fruit of the tree and eating it, and then she shared it with her husband, and he disobeyed God, and the human race was plunged into tragedy because desire was turned into deception. That deception became disobedience, and that disobedience led to death. All right, pastor, we get it. Desire, deception, disobedience, death. All right, James, what's the challenge? Verse 16. Verse 16 says this. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You know what he's saying? James is saying, see past the bait. That's what he's saying. See past the bait. Whenever you are faced with temptation, get your eyes off of the bait And look at the consequences of sin. Look at the fact that Jesus had to die for that sin. Don't be ignorant of this is what he's saying. The word error, it means to roam from safety or truth. Hey, don't go astray. Don't be evilly deceived. Don't be easily seduced. Hey, don't go out of the way. Just like Peter said in the book of 1 Peter when he said, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. 
You don't want to know what James was trying to get across. It's the same thing that Peter was trying to get across when he wrote the book of 1 Peter. It's the same thought that Paul was trying to get across when he wrote the book of Romans and many of the other letters that he wrote. He was trying to help believers understand this. Hey, God has more for you than the devil has to offer. Sin is, it's a bait. There's bait that's going to be out there that's going to try to deceive you. And the end of it is always destruction. But you can know and you can recognize that in your relationship with God and in my relationship with God, there is victory. And in your relationship with God, you don't have to give in to that sin. You don't have to give in to that lust and allow that lust to turn to become deception and death, disobedience and ultimately destruction. Hey, you do not have to say yes. What's it going to take? You've got to ask God to help you to see past the bait. God, help me to see past the bait. Jesus was tempted multiple times by Satan in the wilderness. How did Jesus see past the bait? He used the word. The devil cast the bait, and you know what Jesus did? He just threw the word back at him. And three times he said, it is, it is written. I love how one man said this. He said, when you and I know the Bible, we can detect the bait and deal with it decisively. Hey, when you know the word of God, when you allow God to have a relationship with you through his book and, and to speak to you, and it's not, just a, um, it's not just me saying, okay, I'm just gonna read a verse today because if I don't, then no, it's, it's me saying like, God, I wanna grow in a relationship with you and God, I want you to work in my life. And when you begin to use the word of God, God promised in John chapters uh, 13 through 17 that with his Holy Spirit would come the ability to say no to sin because the Holy Spirit of God would bring to your mind the verses that you read, and he would bring to your mind the verses that you have taught. He would bring to your mind the verses that you had memorized that maybe you even forgot that you'd memorized. The Lord brings to your mind the ability to be able to say, you know what? It is written. Devil, I'm going to see past the bait. And the Bible truly does say in the book of Jude, it says unto him, praise goes to God who is able to do what? He is able to keep you from falling. Hey, you don't have to go the way of everybody else. You don't have to go the way of culture. I would say uh, to, to all the teenagers sitting in here tonight and all of the young people sitting here tonight, and all the older people sitting here tonight, you don't have to go the way that culture tells you to go. You don't have to just be like everybody else and just go down the stream. No, you can be a fish that swims upstream. You can be one that swims counterculture. You can be one that swims countercurrent that says, you know what? I'm going to use my life for something more than just being a statistic in this culture's stat sheet. I'm going to recognize that God has more for me this week and God has more for me as a dad this month. God has more this year than he did last year. And God's got more for you as a mom and as a grandparent. God's got more if we could simply say no. What's it going to take? God, help me to see past the bait. Help me to understand that there is destruction on the other side of this. Help me to understand that this disobedience, it's not going to get me anywhere. 
Man, this little sin, it's not a little sin. It's something that Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross for. And if, if, you, if there was only one sin that Jesus had to die for, he still would have had to come and shed his innocent blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness for sin. And so what is James saying? James is saying, hey, wake up and see past the bait. Hey, quit looking at the bait because behind that bait is a hook. And once you get hooked... The end is always destruction. I hope tonight that we wouldn't ignore the challenge of James to understand that a thriving and maturing Christian is going to see past the bait. Hey, devil, you're not going to get me this week. I'm going to see past the bait. Hey, that desire, listen, the desire is not the sin. It's what you do with the desire. So this week, man, control it. Ask God to help you to put it under control. Ask God to help you to, to temper the natural desires that God has given you. And God always promises, God always promises blessing. Sin always brings destruction. Man, God, help me to see past the bait. Remember that you promise blessing. Sin only brings destruction. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.